Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. lovers out there. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. And today we're going to give you um, some what we call wonderful indulgences. Indulgence is something you don't usually have every single day. It's, uh, we're going to be talking to Jeff Sadaka, and yes, he is a relative, you'll hear that later, um, who is the, the, the new um, CEO of Sterling Caviar, and I think you can agree that caviar is an indulgence. Um, he's new to the company. The company is re- recently purchased and reorganized, and we're going to have some help also um, from their marketing director, uh, Myra Calarico, who has been an enormous help to us. She is the general manager. Um, so let's start talking to Jeff who has lots to say on the subject of sustainability. Oh, listeners, we're going to be talking. um, First of all, we're going to be talking to to Myra Tellerico, who's the general manager of Sterling Caviar, and she's going to uh, introduce us to their new CEO, Jeff Sadaka, and then we're going to talk about this wonderful company and its wonderful products. So I'm going to turn it over to Myra, um, who, who makes the wheels all turn over there. <laughs> and, and tell, tell us about Jeff Sadaka. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Anne. Um, so, um, I, and I think Jeff will probably uh, highlight this a little bit more. You know, Sterling Caviar was acquired recently in October of 2020, so we have a whole new management team. Um, I came on board in November of 2020, and um, and Jeff, who's had an illustrious career in the seafood industry, joined us in January of um, of just this year. Right. So with that, let me pass it on over to Jeff because I'm sure he would love to share uh, his background and what he's done. Yeah, well, we're going to try to give our listeners a little backup, uh, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, you, can you start us off with giving us a, a brief history of Sterling Caviar? Um, the company has a number of firsts. Tell us about them. Okay, so um, Sterling Caviar has been in business since 1983, and it does have a number of firsts. Um, Sterling was the first farm to, actu- a farm to actually aquaculture commercial quantities of caviar So, uh, in the world. Now, see, uh, that's Sterling amazing to me. Why did it take so long for people to, to realize that we didn't have any farmed caviar? <laughs> it seems to make it, some mistakes. It's not that it took so long, Anne. It's not that it took so long. You know, aquaculture is a very tricky business, and, and, and all animal husbandry is. And, and what took a long time was being able to domesticate the sturgeon, get them to breed, get them to grow. And oh, yeah. unfortunately, in the case of sturgeon, it takes seven years before the first, at the least, before there are any eggs. So oh it's my. a quite long process. Uh-huh. 
Uh, so, where, what, give me some physical idea of what one of these farms looks like. I mean, how do you keep right, so the there fish two, there? There are two types of farms. Uh, the older type, we have one farm that's the older type that are open ponds. They're about 10 acres, and they are earthen ponds with flow-through water. Um, the newer ones, we have four farms that are, are tank farms, which is the way that aquaculture is mostly done right now. And they are concrete tanks from 25 to 60 feet in diameter, uh, oh. high-flow water. Water is recirculated, so, you know, and I'll get a little later into, into the sustainability aspect. And then the fish are hatched in a hatchery, and then over time they're transferred from one tank as they, the density gets high into two tanks and then into four tanks as the fish get bigger. Ultimately, they are separated males and females, which I can get into a little later also, and the males will grow out a certain amount, and the females, we, we're going to wait until they have caviar, until they have eggs. Uh-huh. Huh. Um, a you lot know. of these tanks are indoors. Some of them are outdoors but covered. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, now, you, you use uh, different sites, right? You're mainly in California, Right now, we're mainly in California, although we're looking at acquiring other aquaculture in other states. So okay. this is the core business, and all of it is, is north of Sacramento. Now, wasn't there a production of lump, something called lumpfish caviar over, over yeah, the Yeah, lumpfish is actually not a caviar. Lumpfish is a, a cold-water fish, very small right. fish that, that basically inhabits the waters around Iceland. And okay. technically, it's not caviar. It's lumpfish roe. But in the United States, right. you're allowed to call it caviar as long as you qualify it by saying lumpfish. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it's lumpfish caviar. Right. And the caviar industry, the, the standard is if it's not sturgeon, it's not caviar. Yeah, that's what I understood. And are, just a little aside, are you seeing some great surge in demand for rough sterling caviar now that everyone's boycotting Russia? Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but it will. And frankly, and then that, again, is a very detailed thing that we can get into later, but Russia doesn't produce that much caviar that comes here. There's a lot uh-huh. of caviar that's purported to be Russian, but it's actually Chinese and it's repacked. So we won't uh-huh. see a lot of um, a shortage directly from Russia. Well, we could see a shortage of people that are not allowed to claim or not able to claim that it's Russian because how would they explain it? Right. right. There will be no advantage to claiming it, yeah. Right. No. Just because no. there's no advantage to, to, for people to, to actually identify that the product they're selling is really Chinese, I think Russian actually today might be even worse. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they're pouring out all the bars. are pouring out their they're pouring their vodka down the drain. <laughs> yeah, and you know the shame is almost none of the vodka they're pouring out is actually from Russia either. I, I was reading that the um, Stolishnaya is actually produced in Latvia now, not, really? not in Russia no, anymore. No kidding. Yeah, okay. I thought I thought there was some a lot coming out of Iran as well, right? Oh, it could yeah, be, it, but it, we all thought it was coming from Russia. Right. Yeah, well, uh, Iran also does the caviar, doesn't it? Uh, Iran does caviar. Now, you know, this is where we get into why sterling. 
Iranian caviar, for the most part, is wild caviar from the Caspian. Iranian, Russian, Azerbaijan, uh, Kazakhstan. However, virtually all of it is either close to extinct or under um, under prohibition for trade. So there's almost no wild caviar at all coming to this country. And why did you get involved with such a tough business, Jeff? And I've been in the print business and the fish business for 50 years. Okay. And um, the really the right the, re- the real reason is uh, I'm very very involved with sustainability, sustainability. Oh, yeah, tell and us about that. How does okay, that apply so, uh, to this? Uh, in, in large part, the seafood business and especially the caviar business has not done a lot early on for either traceability or for environmental and social sustainability. Environmental being obviously what you do to the environment and social being how, how your workers are. So um, I have been a, a founding member and board member of the Global Aquaculture Alliance, which has wow. a standard called the Best Aquaculture Practices Standard uh-huh. uh, for, since 1996 when we founded it. And basically what it is, it's a third-party certification that, that the things that you're saying you're doing, you're actually doing. And uh, are you doing, are you, people are doing this with abalone too, right, in California? They are, there are some abalone farms that are in the process of getting aquaculture certified, best aquaculture certified. Oh, yes. okay, all right. It's, so, it's basically that, right now shrimp and fish, finfish. Um, as I said, we've been been at it for 25, 26 years, and, but it's really gotten traction now. So one of the problems we have or the challenges we have is that 91% of the seafood that we eat is imported. And that's really a shame, and it's also that as an economic model is not sustainable for us. It's not sustainable economically. It's not sustainable from a food security viewpoint. So... Um, the way I got involved with this is my friend Eugene purchased Sterling from a very large company in Europe who had been has been in the aquaculture business mostly in Europe. And um, I was working with Eugene on the sustainability aspect because it's something that's in my wheelhouse and saw the opportunity to begin to advance American aquaculture which is, you know, really what's on my radar right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, government regulation, uh, whether local, state, or federal, has been very difficult, but we think that finally the, the time has changed. The government's beginning to recognize that aquaculture is important. And we've had several states, including Florida, where I live, and in California, where the Secretaries of, of Agriculture have declared that aquaculture is agriculture, which changes the whole picture. Oh, yeah. So they didn't admit that before. No, they didn't. It was not something that was on anybody's radar, and, and okay. it just, it's just now becoming very, very known, especially in Congress. Well, you mean there was no oversight of any sort? There was oversight, but there was so much oversight and so many competing uh, agencies that it was impossible to almost get any aquaculture off the ground in the United States, mm-hmm. which is why you know, 9% of the, the fish that we eat is, is domestic and three-quarters of that is wild. 
this is not a problem that's, that's unique to the United States. I mean, if you, if you uh, talk to a if you talk to a fisherman in Europe, he would say the same 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 happens here. Exactly, and Europe, Europe, and the United States are in lockstep with this, and have been with so many things. Most of my work, consequently, over the last thirty years in, in this in this field, has been getting aquaculture off the ground in Vietnam and Thailand and India and Indonesia, Ecuador. Mm-hmm. But it's time that we did it here, and we saw an opportunity with Sterling. I saw an opportunity to have a farm that I can be involved with that will then now promote my mission of uh-huh. developing American aquaculture. Now, I'd like to pass something along to you that, that, that may, may, or not, may or may not be of interest, but let's try. We, we get a, a, we don't know, is it every two weeks a shipment from Wolf Seafood in Boston? No, every month. It's every a month. subscription. And one, one of the products that we get that is so delicious is called... What's it called? Chalk, chalk stream. Chalk stream trout. And it, mm-hmm. com- it comes from somewhere in not too far from the port city of Southampton in southern England. And it's farmed, and it's absolutely delicious. I'm not familiar with the brand. I am familiar with trout farmed in, in, uh, in the U.K. Is it smoked, or is it, is it just frozen fresh? No, it's fresh. Well, okay. you can actually get you can actually get it in various different forms. But, yeah. But we, we in in general, what 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 we get is is farmed and it's. But we just it? learned that it was farmed because we thought because it's very close to where Peter's uh, brother lives, and it's a very pretty um, area in the, the south of England, um, and. It, we we thought it was just wild caught in the in the river, and, and we just learned it was farmed. Yeah, finally. virtually all the fish that that you see that would be exported from most places is farmed. Most of the wild fish that still exists is consumed mostly in the countries where it originates. Right. And farming now farmed farmed aqu- aquaculture product now accounts for well in excess of 50% of all the seafood eaten in the world. Right, right. Sweetheart, who, who, who wrote that book that we, that we read about farmed fish? He, I don't know. We've he, read so many of them. Um, he said there were we only... also we interviewed a, a wonderful a farmed shrimp producer somewhere in the south of the U.S. In Florida. In Florida. Do you know... I don't remember. What was it in is. Florida? Was it was it sun shrimp? Might have been. Might have been something like Ocean Boy, I think, or something like that. Ocean, oh, Boy, so Ocean that. Boy. Ocean Boy. That would have been a while ago. Ocean Boy is closed. However, the owners oh, yeah. of Ocean Boy now own a farm that I'm working with. That we're all working with from Sterling in Pine Island called Sun Shrimp. Oh, well, it's the best shrimp I think I've ever had. I mean, you know, it's not wild caught, but I mean, for farmed fish, farmed shrimp. I just loved it, and but they, I mean, they have a fairly unique system. It's not like the old fashioned right. farming. Yeah. No, it's tanks, just like our it, the, the 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 product that we're talking about now is in tanks or in raceways, just like our sturgeon, and it's grown the same way with uh, recirculating water, where 
you know, we're taking water in and we're not dumping it back into the environment. We're cleaning it and using it again. Well, that's what they do, yeah. That's yeah, what they that's did what when they I did. interviewed them. Yeah. So they were, when you interviewed them, they were inland. Now they're on the exactly. coast. Exactly. Yeah, now they're getting fresh salt water for their farm and recirculating that, and they're right on the Gulf. Okay. And uh, Sterling will be handling some of that shrimp, too. Yeah, let me have the name of that again, because I have I ocean forgot. Boiler. No, it's, it's not ocean they're, they're done. I'm sorry, it's called Sun? Sun Shrimp in Pine Island. Sun And shrimp. if you want to do an interview with them, I can arrange that, because we're, we're, we're consulting with them now. Pine Island, Okay. If Myra would like to send us the the uh, contact information, that would be fine. Oh, I sure will. Yeah, I sure will. No problem. So, let's do that. Now, I, I have a bullet point here that says COOO, and that's cool, but it actually mm. means something else. Core, well, country of origin labeling. Country of origin labeling, and that's, that's one of the major challenges or hurdles that we're addressing with here. So cool is country of origin labeling. As a legal matter, all seafood that's packed that could be sold at retail must be labeled the country of origin. And here's where sterling really comes in because most of the people selling caviar today are not caviar producers. They're people who buy caviar from people like us or from farms around the world in large quantity and larger containers, and then repack them in smaller containers, including Chinese caviar, which is the the most volume caviar sold in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And see, that would be where it'd be nice to have the uh, the country of origin on it. I mean, how do you sure. supervise something like that with things? How do you know even what to order by? Very good question. That's the question. So this is what the reason we're on a podcast with you and we're going to be doing these educational things. Right (laughs) now, the way the world is now, there really is no reason for people to be buying second and third hand repack product. It's easy to get farm to table. Everything today is farm to table. I buy my vegetables from a local organic farm. So that's where Sterling comes in. We are able to supply chefs or consumers, distributors, with product that comes directly from the farm. We hatched it, we fed it, we grew it, we processed it, and we shipped it. So we we have an absolute chain of custody, and there's no mixing. We don't buy caviar anywhere else. And this is one of the stories that we'd like to tell our chefs, which is, and the chefs that will listen to your podcast, which is they're buying farm-to-table organic vegetables locally. They're buying grass-fed beef with no hormones. But the thing that they're buying that's the most expensive thing on their menu, their caviar, they don't know where it's coming from. That's terrible. And, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's been a challenge in the caviar industry, and it's a challenge that, that basically underpins our reason for doing business the way we're doing it which is we don't want to just be farmers. We, we are vertically integrated, and the entire supply chain is sustainable, and it's transparent. <coughs> now, tell, 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 us, tell us more about, tell, tell our listeners more about the story of how we get still in caviar and how much we enjoy it when we get it. 
Thank you very much. Well, By the way, could, we, could really, I, we, really, we really did enjoy what you sent. I have a very stupid question I'd like to interject. I mean, this is very stupid. I can't even believe I have to ask this. But when you harvest the eggs, you kill the fish? Okay, so that's not a stupid question. In fact, that's one of the most common questions. The answer is yes, but the reason is not because just because of the eggs. We sell sturgeon, just like we yeah. sell other fish, and you buy chicken and you buy beef. We sell about um, 300 tons of sturgeon a year. Got it. Oh, that's good. Wolf Fish had it on their, one of their available lists at one point. Next time it's on, I'm going to try to get some. I've In never fact, had we'll it. Get, we'll get the contact and be calling them to let them know it's available because we have sturgeon available, fresh sturgeon, to ship all over the country, 364 days a year. Okay, because I think that what I was told was it was seasonal, but it's spelt with a U, W-U-L-F, apostrophe I'll look them up when we finish. Okay, they're near Boston. And, and, and it, it hits home what you're saying about all the, the farms all over the world because uh, we get um, a certain... Certain fish we get from Norway, from um, New Zealand, uh, from Australia, and they always identify the country. Um, yeah, but the caviar, we the caviar industry has flown under the radar until now. Mm-hmm. Right. They also sell caviar, this company. Okay, well, we need to speak you, to them. You should uh, talk to them. This is one of the big challenges we have is that none, none of the government people and some of the industry people that could have, have have paid attention to the fact that caviar falls under that cool labeling requirement. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to bring out. People should know and be able to know where their product comes from, that it's safe, and that it was grown sustainably, and it was, it was grown without, you know, child labor or, or the other things that happen <laughs> in industry. All the other things, yeah. So I, I didn't understand this. Um, Myra mentioned your Kilo Club. What's that? All right. So the Kilo Club is a mechanism whereby consumers can buy at a, a steep discount a large quantity of caviar, large for a consumer, not large for uh, obviously a business, which is a kilo or more at a, a discounted price shipped to them at any time through the year in in smaller tins. So oh. if somebody's in a kilo club and they buy one kilo, they may get, you know, eight different shipments of 125 grams or four of 250 grams as they need it. Oh, boy. That's perfect for today's market, isn't it? It is. It Which is, is because... another issue. Who is your market? Um, our market typically had been wholesale until COVID. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And that's what's and happened that's to a lot of things, like Chef's Garden was only, um, you know, it was not retail. And lots of people. Um, Is Chef's what, Garden the people in Ohio? Yes, yes. Yeah. I know them, they, they I know do. them since they opened. I know them oh, since yeah. they opened. Oh, he's a hoot, isn't he? I've known him for years. Absolutely. <laughs> and he's and, funny. and you know, they're, they're, they actually, I was planning on speaking to them about co-branding some product because, you know, they have a great story. They're, they were almost out of business, and they started oh, yeah. selling direct to chefs, and it, it's yep. just a really great business. Yeah, but he had to so, do a total pivot 
when COVID hit because he didn't have boxes retail before. Now he does. He's a big chunk of the business doing that now. Even We pivoted quite a bit. Um, you know, our business to, to, to the wholesale trade that was for restaurants, of course, fell off. But we built a very, very robust online presence for consumers. Mm-hmm. And because it's caviar as opposed to other fish, we ship everything anyway overnight. doesn't matter if we shipped it to a distributor who's going to then take it to a restaurant or we ship it right to a restaurant or right to a consumer's home. Our cost and our time is the same. Uh-huh. Interesting. Well, you know, that kind of brings us, though, to, to Peter's question. What he started asking is, how do people get sterling caviar from retail or, or chefs or anybody? They Website. go online, and our, our prices are posted, our different sizes are posted, and it's as, as simple as filling in a form that makes you a customer and sending the order in or calling one of us and, 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 and starting initiating an order. After that, everything is pretty mechanical. We pack in really sturdy cardboard lined inside with a, um, a silver-coated um, insulation material and freezer packs. Right. So typically, you, you order today and your caviar comes tomorrow or at the latest the next day. Listen, you know, we, we had um, live lobsters from um, from an outfit in Maine. They came. <laughs> I opened the package and they were waving at me. <laughs> right. It's exactly the same thing. The people that I know in Maine and Canada that have gone in this business are, are, are shipping live lobster the same way overnight. Yeah. You know, I'd like to make a point before Peter's question, which is, you know, when I was talking about sustainability and so forth, um, a lot of your people listening will be aware of Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Oh, sure. All right. So our sturgeon and our caviar is a Seafood Watch green best choice. Okay. According to Monterey Bay. Yes, according to Monterey Bay, it's become an important issue for, especially for named chefs and stored chefs. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, that's fascinating. You could go on forever about this. I know. There was one. There was one thing we 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 struggled a, a little bit with, which was keep, oh, yeah, keeping your, keeping that. your caviar keeping your caviar once you get it when. When do you? When should you open it? When should you eat it? All of those parameters around. Oh, and and t- we, we had trouble with the opener, didn't we? Oh yeah, well, I was going to get to that. That's different. Okay. We can solve the opener problem right away because we ship as people order it. We ship what's called a caviar key, which is a yeah. round disc, but, but it has a protrusion on yeah. the end. It fits right into the tin, and you just flip it, and it and, they, and it opens right up. Well, we did. We tried that, and we just couldn't get it open. What did we eventually do? I can't remember. We, we use the back of a knife. We eventually yeah, used a screwdriver. Yeah, sometimes people will, will use a screwdriver or a coin to pop it open. Yeah, we. So yeah, the caviar arrived. I think we used a, um, a screwdriver, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Probably. Screwdriver will work, but you know I don't know. There may be several caviar keys out there. We haven't. We really haven't had a problem with ours. And, and although you might have had ours, yeah, um, we had yours, we but we couldn't. We couldn't get it to work. So we we 
we went we'll, to. We'll look into driver. improving it then. We'll look into improving <laughs> it, maybe making it a little wider. So well, you know, it's not nearly as bad as if you tried any of the lines, big lines of pickles anymore. I, mean, I love pickles. But opening, we have, we've done everything. We, we end up having to break the whole lid in some kind of hard plastic on this one. And, and, have, like, and it winds up. And then, and then the pickle juice winds up all over me. In fact, this morning when I was trying to understand a little bit about what you do, I listened. <laughs> I listened to the pickle podcast. <laughs> Canadian, the guy. That, <laughs> so yeah. It, the caviar is packed in the tins that you've seen. They are vacuum yeah. packed, and from the time you get them, they should be about four to six weeks okay. in um, in the refrigerator. Really, six weeks if you keep an ice pack on them. The ice pack that we provide, if you keep freezing one of them, right. and we did that, they're best yeah. stored on that pack. Because your refrigerator is probably at 37 or 38 degrees Fahrenheit, and ideal for caviar is under 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Yeah. So, But oh, okay. even well, in a regular refrigerator, four weeks is fine. Well, okay. I have to tell you, I really feel much more secure, Jeff, that you're in charge over there, and that you have Myra there, too, as your GM. Myra, you said you Myra keeps the wheels on. You were right. <laughs> <laughs> what fun. I, I, only have one, I only have one question remaining. Do, do you have a relative in the music business? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My my father's my grandfather and his father were first cousins. Okay. okay. So, but so it's still, and we don't even the name is not even spelled the same because they were different immigration officers. But it's different. <laughs> and if I were to sing for you, there wouldn't be any more podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, thank you both of you, Myra, Jeff. Uh, it's oh, been just you. a real delight. Myra, let me just ask quickly, is there anything you think I, we missed? No, I, I, I was listening to what you were saying, and I'm like, you know, thumbs up and smiling the whole time as I'm sitting here. So, <laughs> yeah, it was great. And, 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 me too. And, and, and Peter, you've eaten our caviar and you like it, right? Oh, sure, of course. Okay. It's good stuff. You've got, I mean, I, that goes without saying that listeners, the product is, is sterling. <laughs> it's really mm. sterling. <laughs> Good product. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yes. So thank you both. Um, you know, you if you could send me, Anne, if you could send me the contact, the, just the address and the email for uh, Chef's Garden, because I haven't had it for years. Oh, okay. I would like that. Farmer Jones. <laughs> yeah, Farmer Jones. And I'll yeah, send, and Myra or I will send you the contact for, um, for Sun Shrimp. Great. All righty. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, we have one of our best friends in the whole world, Amy Rosenfield, who is the proprietor uh, for, I think it's over 20 years now, of a fabulous chocolate shop in the Strip District in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, called Mon Ami Chocolat. 
Uh, she's going to update us on what the latest trends are in craft chocolates. You know, we're going to be talking to Amy Rosenfield, um, the owner of Monami Chocolate in, in uh, the Strip District in Pittsburgh. And Amy knows so much about chocolate, I'm forever amazed. <laughs> so I always turn to her to, to find out what's new in the chocolate world, which is what I'm doing now. Um, we're, we're going to be talking about current trends in fine chocolate. Uh, and also, I mean, you just went through a long um, pandemic experience. Did chocolate hold up with, with all of the stress on everyone? Well, chocolate is comforting. Um, uh-huh. so in times of, you know, pandemic or depression and and such, um, yeah, we all need a little bit of chocolate. It does brighten our day. Um, so we send a lot of gifts out for people. It, you know, it okay. definitely was a challenge, especially in the beginning of the pandemic because um, uh-huh. you really weren't open, but we were here because I needed to bring some money in. Um, <laughs> yes. So we were fortunate to get, um, you know, some some nice business with, like, some people for, like, teacher appreciation week, even though it was all virtual and such. But um, there were, like, a lot of things that we got or we worked hard on Instagram and Facebook, whatever, trying to, um, you know, get people enticed that way and, you know, word of mouth that we're here. Um, but, you know, you couldn't come into the store. We would shop for you and... You know, so people, we we did see a lot of people um, that way. But, yeah, people need chocolate during pandemic. Yeah, indeed. Now, before we, we started the uh, interview, I asked you, I read where you had something the best in the United States, and you said it was the largest selection of, of, of fine chocolate, right? Um, it's one of the largest, yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, we carry products you're now for 60. 64 countries, roughly, give or take, depending on, you know, time of year or what's in. Um, so, And we're also the distributor for guitar chocolate. And we also feature a lot of local chocolate. And we also have an in-house chocolatier that we make a small amount of chocolate here as well. Oh, wow. And, and you also sell, make and sell ice cream, right? No, we sell, we work with Millie's. So we sell. Oh, you I thought you made. I thought you made some. No. Um, no, we used to carry gelato, and now we carry Millie's. We work closely with them. Um, they source the chocolate from us um, for their ice creams. Um, so we work with Millie's, but through the pandemic, we've only been selling pints because we don't want to scoop. Because we're not just an ice cream shop or somewhere where people are going to yeah. leave. Their, their masks will come down in here. So we've been. Um, we're, we're, we'll make the determination probably in, right after Easter if we're going to scoop this um, summer or not, because yeah. it also opens our store up a little mean, bit more you mean if you're by the scoop. Sell, you're we'll sell pints or single serve cups. They make some in the single serve cups, but just not the full range of flavors, you know. Got it. So, so anyhow, you are up and you're keeping up with all the the trends. Even though I guess you couldn't, none of us went to all the shows we used to go to before the the whole Omicron yeah. thing. And so, what what are you seeing as happening in fine chocolate? Well, I think in fine or craft chocolate, um, 
you know, I think single origins taking it a step further in the sense that it's really about transparency, knowing where the beans and all the ingredients come from is really important um, to us, to the makers, um, to the awards as well. Um, you know, we, we want to know where it's coming from. We want to know um, that it's creating a sustainable life for every Buddy that's involved in making that chocolate from, you know, the farmer um, to everybody that's, you know, again, involved in the chocolate process, um, which is really great because there's so many people that love making chocolate and there's so much yeah. great chocolate out there. But um, it's funny, I mean, the real characters, I mean, the chocolatiers that we interview are real characters. <laughs> they come from just about everywhere. Oh. Yes. <laughs> you must have fun with that. Yes. Oh, yeah, we do. I miss being with everybody. It's, it uh-huh. seems like right now, two years ago yesterday, I was on a plane to San Francisco, and I had already been in January of 2020 for the Fancy Food Show. Uh-huh. That was my last trade show. And then in March, there was uh, put on uh, something called the Craft Cho- Chocolate Experience. And kind of everybody kind of had hints that something was coming bad, you know, but they still had it. And I'm so glad that I did go. It was my last trip out. And I flew back on March 9th. And we all know what happened on the 12th and all those wonderful chocolates that I collected at this small, very all fine craft chocolate from around the world. There was people from India, um, Germany. India makes chocolate. (laughs) India makes and grows chocolate. Yes. It grows it in the uh, south. They they oh. grow it, yes, as well. So we do have some chocolate here um, with beans from India, definitely. Um, uh, it's Amy, really good. Amy, for the, for those who haven't heard you on our program before, can can you trace the, the, the life of cocoa beans through to chocolate bars that you sell in your restaurant and who and the players shop. are involved? So you mean trace where they're from? Yeah, I mean just how, yeah. how does how does how does it all how does it all work? How does the cocoa end up at the bar? Is what he's asking. Oh, That's okay, a long the whole story. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people uh, yeah, don't it is know a long that. story. Yes, um, a lot, so a lot it's of people, grown. A lot of people think. In, a lot of people think it's made in Hershey. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We go to the grocery store or to the whatever store they buy at, and it's just on the shelf, and you assume it's always going to be exactly the same, and it's always readily available in that pretty little wrapper, right? But it grows in it grows in the rainforest, and um, it grows it grows only in close proximity to the equator, pretty much right now. Um, some's being tested, I know, in Florida, but for us, really, the only cacao that grows in the United States is out of Hawaii. Um, so, but you get cacao from all around the world, whether it's Venezuela, that's known for, of course, exceptional cacao growing, um, Indonesia, uh, India, uh, Thailand is growing some now as well, uh, Vietnam, definitely. Um, so it yeah. goes all the way around the world. The largest producer of cacao is the Ivory Coast and Ghana. Those kind of go back and forth. Um, and that's more of your bulk chocolate for the majority of it, like what would go into a Hershey bar. But your fine chocolate, um, you know, grows more on reserve plantations. And, you know, they're, you're working a little bit, the makers are working a little bit more directly with them 
or through a few exceptional um, small you know, liaisons between the farmer. And what they're doing when you're buying direct or through those small liaisons is they're ensuring that the crop's bought um, because if the farmers don't have a means to sell it or access to it, then it doesn't do anybody any good. Right. Um, you know, there's also, of course, the fair trade model, which is a great model, um, but a percentage does go to fair trade, which takes a little mm-hmm. bit away from the farmer. But then again, that farmer might not have access to selling their chocolate or their coffee or, you know, whatever they're trying to sell. So that's still a very good model. Um, but so it does start, of course, at the farm, um, growing in those different regions or areas, and um, it's harvested a couple times a year, um, and then it is fermented on the farm. Yeah, the, the it in this case is a is a bean that's inside of a shell of some kind. It's in, so it goes on the cacao tree, which there's smaller trees. Um, there's all different kinds of um, pods uh, or, or types of beans, rather, I should say. And um, so it does grow there, and they harvest it. It goes in a pod, which I do have a couple pods here, and I have beans here. Um, and they do machete open those, and inside there, those beans, there's not very many beans in each pod, um, maybe 30 to 40 only, um, but there's white mass around it, which is the pulp. The pulp is mm-hmm. sometimes used or eaten, you know, by the locals. Um, it could be used, we sell some pulp that's been repurposed because it's, the pulp is very critical in the fermentation process um, sure. that it sets in that. It's the, one of your first stages of developing flavor. Um, right there on the farm, um, and after it's fermented, which you you know you want to develop the flavor, so it typically can take about seven days um, to do that fermentation process. Then you're going to want it dried, and of course you want sun dried. You don't want to be you know dried inside of a factory, which can happen, of course. Um, and then from once it's dried, um, it's going to get put into the big sacks. And then it's going to go for typically export. And then that's where it gets roasted in a factory. And then that's the next stage of developing flavor. Okay. Now, you, you, don't, do, you don't do that part. You, you I do not you do that so, part. You, you source your chocolate no. from someone who's done all the laborious stuff that you just described. Exactly. Like Guitard, um, who's been doing making chocolate since 18... 18- 1858, um, fifth generation. Um, They have the equipment. They know what they're doing. They're great at educating. They're great at supporting some of these small craft producers as well. Um, You know, like uh, we could talk about uh, Castronova, who's award-winning female chocolate maker in Stewart, Florida. Uh, She makes exceptional chocolate. She's where? She's in Stewart, Florida. Where's that, Stewart, Florida? Stewart is north of Palm Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what's her name? Her name is Denise Castronovo. She makes great chocolate. I just happen to have her. her? Yes, we do. I've never had that. It's nice because it's a community um, that helps each other uh, because they're real, you know, Without helping farmers, we won't have fine chocolate right. if it's not right. sustainable for all in the year 2050. You know, I've just, we're about to interview somebody, I'm reading his book, 
about the insect crisis. Have you heard about this? Where all these insects are going extinct, mm-hmm. and, and, and he talks about um, the, what the, the benefits we get from them. And one of the things that amazed me is he said he's projecting if we don't change things up, we're going to have this uh, um, dystopia where everything dies off and we lose all the stuff. And one of them is chocolate because there's mm-hmm. a um, do you know about this? They poll- these little this little fly pollinates mm-hmm. the yeah. oh my you mm-hmm. you know about that? I never heard of the that. midfly. I, 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 What's I, it called? Midfly. So yes, it it does pollinate. Um, it it's part of the process. I I left that part out because I thought I was doing the abbreviated part. But yes, the midfly pollinates, um, and it helps. It, it it's how cacao gets started. Um, yep, it's, it's absolutely amazing. They stop yeah. it. I mean, I'm I'm one that actually I think he was talking to because I always say you know this bug is such a nuisance what what good does it do and I mean even the the humble cockroach has medicinal value (laughs) it's just amazing so but okay now um why does chocolate making attract all these kind of oh I don't want to say eccentric but you know what I mean I think chocolate um, attracts lots of different kinds of people. You have lots of people that have jumped from technology jobs to making chocolate. Um, lawyers have jumped into making yeah, chocolate. Yeah, criminal lawyer, we know him. Who's that? Yeah. Hmm? The, the uh, guy who was a high-profile criminal lawyer. Oh, oh yeah. Sean. Yeah, yeah Sean. Um, and yeah, he, Sean. He actually uh, has Chocolate University, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, he does a good job. Boy, he does um, major. I mean, it's so beyond just making chocolates. <laughs> yeah. And, so and there are other values attached to this. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there are definitely, absolutely, there are. Um, so so think, single origin is one trend. Mm-hmm. That's been going for a while. That's What's going, totally new that you found? Well, the transparency of it and making sure, again, that it's sustainable. Child labor is also still talked about. When I started my store in 2001, it was supposed to be ending then. Mm -hmm. Some companies, the larger ones, we'll just leave it at that, are not, don't, they said, I forget what year they had said, but now they're saying it'll be 2025 before they can claim Uh that they're child labor. There is, if you Google it, there's a list of who's good with that and who's not. There's a good list and a bad list for it. So you know, okay. That's where do you find that? Well. Just Google it; it will come up. What do you call I it? Mean, child labor. Um, child labor and chocolate. There's a list. It's a recent list too. Okay. Um, I mean, everything I'm looking at because I put a lot of chocolate bars in front of me just because I like to have little props to talk. You know, um, uh-huh. these are all good. Most of your small batch, they're all, you know, they're looking for helping. Um, not only the environment, um, the environment that the farmer lives around, and creating beautiful chocolate from that. So what other trends? Of course, we've got the allergen-free. Vegan is hot. Um, oh, vegan? What, what, I never thought there would be anything with vegan chocolate. What, what, what's well, not vegan about it? Well, thank you, because a lot of people don't realize that chocolate's vegan. 
starts vegan, you know. Um, but when you want, they want dairy-free. So instead of milk, you can use almond milk, oat milk. Oh, right, okay. With coconut milk, rice is used a lot as well. Um, so we sell a lot of that right now. Also, sugar substitutes are popular, um, you know, and more on the side of, like, inulin or stevia. Um, oh, really? Erythritol. Oh, yep. You want I don't more like natural flavor. Um, some are not bad. Guitar has a couple um, right now that they use, like, a inulin, and it tastes pretty good, actually. They're 72%. It's good. And if you were baking with that or using that as an ingredient in something, I don't think you'd know that, that much. You one knows the difference. It doesn't have um, that aftertaste, I guess. No, no, it's not like maltitol at all with that. Oh, okay. or it's, it, it, yeah, no, it's... The guitar, one or two of them I really like a lot that they came out with. Unfortunately, they came out with them also like right right when the pandemic was, right before pandemic started. So um, they came out with a couple of other lines too, or single mm-hmm. origins they went back to. But, you know, production from a lot of the companies has had to, some of the lines are suspended right now just because they can't keep up with regular production. Yeah, right. Because yeah. lots of factories, of course, whether it's chocolate or whatever in the world, have had, you know, whether they have less employees on at a shift or if they have a COVID outbreak, they have to shut down. So right. um, it affects everybody. Yeah, and the, the truck drivers even. I mean, sure. <laughs> if you order all yeah. the stuff online, I mean, clearly you must be affected by delivery problems. We have a little bit, yeah. I mean, we've we've noticed like things right now coming for Easter from Europe. It's delayed a week or two, or another week, you know. Yeah. So hopefully next week we get hit with some more stuff from um, Germany and uh, England should be coming in. But other trends, I think, um, you know, are really like if I talk about um, Mission Chocolate out of Brazil. She is the most awarded chocolate maker in Brazil currently. Um, she's really trying to focus on flavors of Brazil. Or, um, you know, she does a bar called Three Theos, which is a tribute to Theombra. Um, it's got, um, so there's 25 trees related to cacao, 15 of which are edible. You have cacao, of course. You have the bicolor tree, which she candies the seeds from that on it. And then she uses part of the kupasu tree. Uh, she candies the fruit. So she, you know, is really... She's, she's taken an right academy. <laughs> yeah, she's taken an yeah. academy of gold for that two times now. It's a great oh. bar. It's fun. It's really good to taste things. That, and before, like, I ta- started eating more Brazilian chocolate, I didn't know what kupasu was. Um, I spell it. Kupasu is C-U-P-U-A-C-U. Okay. So you yeah, see bro. that. You see a, she does a, a cool bar called Two Rivers, which took her a couple years to create. But she wow. pulls beans from two different rivers, the Rio Negro, which is the largest blackwater river right. in the world, and the Rio Solomos. So she's created into one bar, but it looks like a river because the two sides are different colors because it's two different beans that she's using, even though they're both 70%. Um, so she's really showcasing, you know, the Amazon, Brazil, um, in a lot of her work 
that she creates or her chocolate that she creates. Um, I mean, and then how, if you go, like how old is she? I mean, is she a star? I mean, she's been doing this a long time. Or? She's been in the industry, I believe, around 10-ish years. She had a chocolate shop in um, California, San Francisco for a little bit. And How do you spell her name? Arcia is A R or chocolate's mission chocolate and it's Arcia which is A R C E L I A and it's G A L L A R D O. She's got Mexican background as well, but then she went to work a little bit for Dandelion and that's where she oh, went. I I like to. them. We haven't had yeah. that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Dandelion chocolate. We yeah. interviewed those guys. She's been. Right. She's not been in the industry that long, but she's doing a good job out of Brazil. I guess what I'm uh-huh. thinking was, um, I was really trying to find out if the innovators were you know, entering the industry or where it was happening. The innovations. Mm-hmm. I think it's all around the world. I mean, I think if I and I would jump over to Lithuania and tell you that um, Demontis, who used to be in technology, created naive oh, chocolate. My. Um, and, you know, he has a forager collection. So he's focusing on what grows well in Lithuania, which he does a bar. It's a beautiful bar with porcini mushrooms in it. Um, oh, you know, my. It's, it's I delicious. like that one. I have to try Great, that one. A glass of red wine, it's delicious. Um, yeah, I have to and he, has, he also has, has a tropical collection there he does durian, you know, and he does um, durian. Oh, darn! Does it smell? Have, <laughs> no, it's actually we have three different chocolate makers that use durian in their bars right now. Really? One is from Thailand, one is from Vancouver, and then there's Demontis out of Lithuania, um, part of his tropical collection. So I think that people really also are featuring uh, what's local. Like we go to Fossa in Singapore. They do a whole street series um, infused into chocolate, which is kind of cool, too. Like salted egg cereal is a bar. That's fun. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you must find this very exciting, getting all the backstories. That's where um, my favorite spice company, they, they really get to know the farmers that that uh, produce mm-hmm. the spices and a lot of them in southeast asia but also in south america and around but um in their newsletter they all feature the, these farmers and it sounds so interesting um mm-hmm. because and it has a bit of fun to meet them. right now yeah yeah so do you do that do you go to Af- have you been to africa a lot no, I've not been to Africa for this. I've been to South Africa, but that was for my other job before this. It was it was candy oriented, but it wasn't this. But I have been to South Africa for that. I've been to Germany three times for the largest sweet show in the world. It's held in Cologne in February, which is like Pittsburgh weather, so I haven't gone <laughs> in recent years because San Francisco Fancy Food Show always sounds better to me than Cologne in February. Yeah, I guess so. so. I can't. <laughs> Eventually I'll go back to it at some point, um, but I haven't. I guess San Francisco is always fun for me mm-hmm. at the end of January. 
You must have been to Belgium too, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have gone after the German show. Like I've gone over to funny, Brussels we, and Bruges. We were we were staying in in Brussels for three now. We were there for about a week, weren't we, all together? And, uh, in Berlin. And we were no um, Belgium. Oh, in Belgium, yeah, we've been. And we we, we mm-hmm. were in the Place Sablon, which is one of the biggest squares in in the, in the town. Oh, is that, mm-hmm. we, they had a chocolate shop and we, there. And we were there just I before think, Easter, so you've never you've never seen so many chocolate eggs in your whole life. Oh yeah, every block. But I think that chocolate shop there is called Mary's. Possibly. I can't remember. There was one. There was, one, there was a family name. Yeah, I've been there. I can't remember the family time. name. Mm-hmm. We interviewed this lady who's who had been in the cho- family been in the chocolate business for five or six centuries, I think. <laughs> sure, over there it's different than here when we say oh, it's a third generation company. There they can say many more years, right? Many more generations. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they and they swear the English don't know how to make chocolate. You mean well, the English in, in your homeland or in the yeah, USA? No, the, the English in my homeland. <laughs> people, insist on, people insist on eating this incredibly objectionable candy called hmm. milk chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, England has a lot of uh, bean-to-bar makers right now. Good, good. Oh, there's, yeah. there's a guy, his first name is Paul. I forget his last name. And he has, oh. He has a big chocolate shop in London. Yeah, it's we, good. We, I've had the chocolate. It's, we, were, uh, we, were supposed to, we were supposed to meet him, and the arrangements mm-hmm. fell through. Oh, he sounded like he um, really knew what he was doing. He does. He does. I don't think he does any bean-to-bar. I think he uses some guitar chocolate. Okay. I see. I don't know recent in the last couple of years, but um, yeah. Well, what's the name of his store? I know it too. I, I, I can't remember. I remember his first name is Paul. That's, that's it. Is that's, yeah. That's all I remember. And we yeah. we were supposed to we were supposed to meet him, and then something came up at the last minute, and he had to go and make chocolate for somebody. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, one of the biggest uh, chocolate um, companies in Australia is Haig. You know that. H-A-I-G-H. Oh, really? <laughs> oh cool. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a <laughs> we have a photo of Peter outside the shop. What's his name? <laughs> I wish we were related. It's a big one like Hershey, you know. <laughs> oh. It, 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 turns out, it turns out those Hagues are from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have no relationship but, but, with but them. We had, a, we had a little fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet. That was Amy, do you do do you do chocolate tastings at your shop? We do. We haven't done any in person ones since the pandemic. Yeah, but we did a lot of virtual ones. I was very fortunate that really helped us. Um we've done some recently with Parkhurst, which is really good. Um oh, interesting. Yeah, they do them a lot for some of their, you know, executives that they have at the different universities. Um, uh-huh. And then, I've, I mean, we've been doing them since pretty early on, like a lot of big ones. I did like an accounting firm with 125 people on a virtual wow. thing. Yeah, so we got, I got a whole bunch of people out of like 
New York or Long Island area that called. So it was good for a little while. You know, it's a, it, I prefer them in person because you like the feedback, or I like smaller ones like we did with Parkhurst. Those were really nice because you want the interaction. It's chocolate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there are all kinds of premises that you, when you're selecting a, a chocolate. I mean, some tastes mm-hmm. are so varied, so different. I mean, I like really dark, bitter chocolate, but I was sort of raised on bitter food, so it's a natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people just can't take bitter. Yeah. Most yeah. of our tastings we do around dark chocolate, of course, but um, we try to incorporate white chocolate as well because I think in the last couple of years white chocolate is really hot. Um, yeah, I thought that it's a different thing. I never think of it as real chocolate. It's chocolate. As long as it has cocoa butter, it comes from the beans. I uh-huh. remember when it was first introduced in England. I'm, I must have been a fairly fairly small child. But the first, mm. first manifestation of it was called Milky Way. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Milky Way was a, was, was a white chocolate it's white. Bar. Yeah. But uh, white chocolate is is pretty popular, or infusing, um, grinding into, like, the cocoa butter itself, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, different fruits. So you get, like, a powerful, beautiful hit of, like, beautiful raspberries that are really tart. Um, So they're grinding those in the melanger into, right into the, uh, either the chocolate or the cocoa butter. Yeah, I imagine it would pop pretty much with the white chocolate, wouldn't it? That whatever flavor mm-hmm. you've been using. I guess so. Yeah. Well, okay, we've talked everybody into wanting chocolate. Now, uh, you're doing mm-hmm. mailing as well as in person, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. So how do people get your chocolate? Website? Well, you can either come into the shop or you can call in and see what, just arrived recently because it's not going to always be on my website. Um, yep. We did get our website launched. It took me probably, I, it was in the works for a while, but then finally, of course, April 2020, we had to, we, we you know, expedited getting it out there. And uh, our website's up. It will continue to grow. Um, Is it so chocolate singular or plural in your um, uh, URL? Monami Chocolat. Singular, okay. C-H-O-C-O-L-A-T, listeners. Correct. Monami, M-O-N-A-I-M-E-E. I don't think you have to use the accent mark in the website. <laughs> no, right? you don't have to. Correct. And... Um, yeah, and and you can get your information there. You can place an online order. But the most fun is going in and talking to Amy, who's one of the people that knows the most about chocolate I've ever talked to. So well, or again, I you are a source. The, no, I what? like to learn from the. I like to learn from the chocolate makers or the experts. You know, spending well, you time do. with them. That's the best yeah, thing you for me. Have. So I've, I've been to presentations mm-hmm. where you explain chocolate, and it's always just mm-hmm. right up there. With Astounding! Like you knew about this funny fly. The <laughs> <laughs> midfly. Yeah. I thought that would really stump you, Amy. <laughs> I never thought of a fly. <laughs> and oh well. Okay, my dear. I thank you as always for bringing thank us up to date on something that we've all loved for so long. And actually, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's it's 
really prominent right now when everybody does need the comfort, <laughs> and that's the ultimate we need comfort. comfort. Food. We also need to support the farmers. Yes, two Can't good goals. Can't say that enough. Support the farmers. Realize you're going to pay a little more, but it's fine chocolate. You don't eat as much. And right. um, hopefully I'll see you too soon, and maybe we can taste some chocolate together. Great. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Bye. Bye. Be well. Okay. You, you're always so good, Amy. Um, I will we'll email you when it's going to air, okay? Okay. Yeah. So anyhow, right. it's things are getting, you sound like things are getting to be more normal, huh? They are. I mean, definitely are. Um, just where is this still cautious, I guess I would say, here for us, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I actually, I still wear my masks at the gym. I'm the only one who does, but I just hold my breath to see what they say next. Well, we require masks here, and I will hold on to wear my yeah. mask. It up pretty much, and, and I want to say if there's something that Amy doesn't know about chocolate, it's probably not worth knowing. Sterling caviar, yeah, he knows all about caviar and sustainability. Well, we brought you a lot of good information today, and um, I think that'll just about do it uh, until same time, same place next week. And what do we say, Rabbit? Bye bye. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.